0: Hey, March is Tripod Month, my friend, and you know what that means.
1: Yes, that means it's time to let people know about your favorite podcasts just to share the sheer joy of podcast listening.
0: That's right. It's T-R-Y Pod. It's still a nascent industry. A lot of people don't know what podcasts are. Right. And it helps everybody out if you would go out and just say, hey, family member who I see at Thanksgiving once a year, you should try out this thing called a podcast. Here's what they are. Here's a cool show you should try, and here's how to get it.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be our show. Just any podcast you like in general that you think someone else would like, just share it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, get on board the tripod train.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's here as always, so it's stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. You should have said
0: that in a British accent.
1: It's stuff you should know, hey! Eh?
0: <laughs> How was that? It was great. You're a regular rich little.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Remember the Arrested Development little subplot where Charlie's Theron was thought to be a British spy? Oh yeah, what was, uh, for British Eyes Only?
0: Yeah, but what was um, the name of her character?
1: Mr. F. Mr. F. That's right. That's right. I
0: knew I had some, like they said that every time, right? Mm hmm. It was pretty funny. She's great. Yeah, she was. Pretty lady. Mm hmm. Funny, smart. Yeah. Good actor.
1: What else? That's all I got on her. She can macrame. Oh, really? I don't know. I just assume.
0: Oh, okay. Oh. <sighs> This is off to a great start. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, it is, it's unusual, odd even, you could say that you suggested I say the intro in a British accent mm-hmm. because we're talking about foreign accents today, Chuck. That's right. It was coy. Mm. I see. Now it makes sense.
0: Yes. And we're specifically not talking about, um, there's a thing sometimes that certain people do. When they meet someone with a an accent different than their own. Right. Where they accidentally, or sometimes purposely, adopt it momentarily. Yes, it's called code switching. My mom's done this before. That I re- remember it happened when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. My brother and I thought it was so funny. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, and it seems like it's usually a parent of an embarrassed child. Sure. Um Is there an explanation behind it,
1: or yeah, yeah? So, um, so this is from what I understand. This is the point, right? So our accents are extremely personal. They're part of like us individually, but they also signal our membership in different groups, right? So, like uh, a farmer is going to talk different. From a stockbroker and a farmer from uh, Georgia is going to talk a lot differently than a stockbroker from uh, Portland, Oregon, right? <laughs> okay, because that's the other stock market seat. Yeah, you yeah. thought I was going to say New York? I nope. did. Nope. Um, so when we when we code switch when we meet other people and take on their their way of talking. It's called code switching. and I think it's a way of signaling, hey, I, I, we have something in common. I don't want you to be distracted yeah, by yeah.
0: it's a welcoming I, thing,
1: yeah, my my overalls with no shirt on are distracting enough. I don't want you to be distracted by my accent, too. So I think it is a way of saying like, hey, i'm 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 we have something in common. The thing is, Accents are such a part of group identity that if you do that in front of some other members of your group, whether it's your family or your friends or whatever, they're going to tease you. They are <laughs> going to tease you, guaranteed. And one of the reasons why is because what they're doing consciously or, or otherwise is maintaining the borders of their own group's identity. Yeah. They're saying, eh, don't put on airs. Don't think you're fancy. Don't think you're just like that guy. You're one of us. And, and making fun of somebody who adopts someone else's accent is a way of doing that. It's a way of maintaining group divisions and borders. Where yeah. really, when you do kind of adopt someone else's accent, it, I think one of the things that you are doing is trying to make the foreigner, the stranger feel more comfortable. And having met your mom, I guarantee that's what she was doing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I just remember the only one I remember specifically, and, and you know, you just have these random childhood moments that sort of stick with you was, mm-hmm. uh, We were in Florida and we were talking with, uh, an Irish woman, I believe she may have been from England, but I think she was Irish. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think my mom had probably talked to a lot of Irish people at that point. You know, she's (laughs) from West Tennessee they moved to Georgia. We didn't have Irish people all over the place. Uh She wasn't super well traveled back then, although she is much more now, um, So it was probably a bit novel to her. And I remember very specifically the woman said something about going to Disney, uh, instead of Disney World. And my mom said she got kind of proper and she says, you know, we haven't been to Disney yet. And I remember my brother and I just thought that was so funny (laughs) instead of saying Disney World.
1: Did you guys make fun of her in front of the woman?
0: No, I don't Uh, think so. We may have laughed a little, um, under our breath, but I, I mean, I don't think we, I don't think we even teased her. I'm teasing her now a bit. Sure. But, um, I don't think, like, we made fun of her, really. I think we just kind of, like, my brother and I want to do very quietly, looked at each other and in that way that brothers do.
1: Right. And then talk to each other like the kids <laughs> in Escape from Witch Mountain.
0: Yeah. Were they telepathic? Yeah. Uh, but it's funny. I was listening to, um, the great Judge John Hodgman podcast. Um, oh, yeah. With our pal John and class act Jesse Thorne, bailiff Jesse. Mm-hmm. And they had an actual case a few weeks ago that was very funny where this this mom um, d- does this on purpose. She's a trained actor and loves to put on accents when she goes to places. And the daughter was just, she took her to the uh, Internet court and was just like, stop doing this. <laughs> like, you've got to stop doing this. And the mom's whole thing, she was very just fun and whimsical and having a lot of fun with it. So it was really hard to to rule against her. Mm -hmm. But I think Hodgman ultimately did rule against her.
1: He's tough but fair.
0: Well, I think his whole thing was like, you know, I think he ruled partially in her favor. Like, you got to let them know where you're from and you can't do it to like waiters and service people because their job is to like take your dumb jokes and and have a stiff upper lip about it. And it just kind of makes their job harder if they think. Maybe you're making fun of them, and, right. you know, like you may not realize the unintended consequence of this is somebody may feel uncomfortable that they have to put up with this.
1: Wow, that was it. Was, it took a, a really serious turn at the end there. No, it
0: did. I mean, you know, that's what's great about that show is it's, sure. they're funny cases, but he adjudicates seriously. I think well, that's why yeah. it
1: works. And then Jesse always shoots his gun off at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <Be-haw. laughs> Uh, so anyway, I I just thought it was pretty uh, weird that this article came up and then that episode had just aired, but that's different than what we were talking about. Totally. Like I started saying, this is not that at all. This is a legitimate, Mm -hmm. super rare. This reminded me of alien hand syndrome and its rarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, cause I've seen different numbers, but the most I've seen is about 150, um, described official cases of foreign accent syndrome.
1: Right. That that that's super rare for sure. Yeah. And what makes it different from somebody taking on the affect or dialect or accent of somebody else. Someone taking the piss. Right. <laughs> this is this is where you you can't stop. It's involuntary. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds weird it's and an episodic and you just want to like poke the person who's doing that in the neck to be like, what are you doing there? <laughs> but if you really start to dig into the actual cases, it's sad in a lot of a lot of cases, oh yeah, because again, your accent what you sound like makes up a part of your personality. so if you are if it if it changes on you involuntarily, it can be quite traumatic for some people. you could have an identity crisis of sorts, yeah, so um, I
0: guess we should just go ahead and talk about a couple of cases so people know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. um the first one mentioned in our own article is really interesting for a few reasons uh and it's the most recent case that's documented um oh I'm sorry it's not the most recent but it is fairly recent uh, a woman named Lisa Alamia, um she had jaw surgery because of an overbite and then when she came out of surgery even though she was from Texas and had never been to England she spoke with a british accent
1: and she was like right bloody hell <laughs> and uh <laughs> wait wait i i need our British listeners to write in and tell me how <laughs> how good my British accent is, okay?
0: Well, I'm known on the show for doing the bad accent, so I'm glad you're taking up No, yours are good. No, I don't know. Mine are... They, they verge on decent at times.
1: That's Well, a- they're cartoonish and stereotypical, but right. they're really, yeah. really good cartoonish, <laughs> okay. stereotypical versions of accents.
0: Uh, so she woke up, had that accent, and her husband and three kids thought it was a joke, Um She had only been outside the country to go to Mexico, and it was a real thing called foreign accent syndrome.
1: Yes, she'd never been to England. She apparently probably had seen British people on TV kind of thing, but her case actually is the opposite of what I was saying. She was apparently um, quite shy before, and now she has something to talk about, a, a conversation opener, I guess. And oh, she's a little more okay. chatty than well, before. that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's it's the opposite of, of some other people who have really experienced a crisis as a result. She's like, well, I sound British now. I guess I should talk more than before. <laughs> so she sounds like a drunk cockney- Chimney sweep. <laughs> Pretty much. And she does sound cockney to me.
0: Oh, really? I didn't hear, her. I didn't see this one on YouTube.
1: So, uh, yeah, we should say, you know, this is kind of like optical illusions. It's one thing to talk about it. You need to actually go see and hear these people talking. Yeah. Um, if you just look up Lisa Alamia, A-L-A-M-I-A, and you will find plenty of interviews with her. Um, and she's, she's, like you said, fairly recent. There's one that's a, Quite a famous case. Maybe the most famous because it was the one that put foreign accent syndrome on the map even though it was before the term was coined.
0: Yeah, this one had a, had a much darker turn um, because it was during World War II a Norwegian woman named Astrid suffered injury um, and the ironies here are really sad. She suffered a brain injury from shrapnel from a German bomb in a bombing raid and then when she came to she had a German accent. Right. Very not fun for her.
1: No, because the Germans were occupying Norway at the time, right? Yeah. So people she didn't really know were like, oh, hey, German spy. Yeah. You want some milk? No milk for you.
0: Yeah, she was shunned. Um, she couldn't even speak German, but she had that accent and was uh, obviously very distraught by this. And she went to a neurologist named... Uh, Jörg Erman Monrad Krohn. Nice job. <laughs> it's a great name. And, um, he coined the first term, uh, for this, which is, uh, dysprosity, which is, uh, prosody is like the tone and rhythm of your speech. Yeah. And, uh, the prefix dis obviously is like abnormal or ill. Um, and that didn't catch on too well.
1: It didn't, but as we'll see, he kind of nailed what the problem was. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the non-grammatical parts of speech, the prosody are what is affected. When you have foreign accent syndrome, you, you have what appears to be a, a foreign accent, but you're usually your vocabulary, your syntax, your grammar remains unchanged. It's all the little nuances that make up your accent or your intonation or the rhythm of your speech that are affected and has changed. So dysprosody is actually like, the perfect name for the syndrome,
0: yeah. But foreign accent syndrome is way more catchy, and that uh, oh, it's sexy. In uh, 1982, uh neurologist named Harry Whitaker came up with that. Um, so Whitaker coined it in the 80s. Uh, I think 1982 was when he coined that official term,
1: right? And he he was a neurolinguist who did some pretty serious research into foreign accent syndrome. He actually came up with a four point criteria for diagnosing it, and the number one is that the accent has to be considered by the patient, the people the patient knows, and the researcher, the doctor, to be a, to sound like a foreign accent, right? Yeah, pretty, foreign, pretty from, straightforward
0: from what they are.
1: Yeah, well, that's number number uh, uh, two. It has to be different from the patient's former prosody, sure, noticeably different. Number three, it has to be related to central nervous system damage, and this one has come under fire under the last few years. And then four, it can't be related to a patient's ability to speak a foreign language already, right? right? So uh, there's actually a condition it's astounding to me. It's called bilingual aphasia, or there's also polyglot aphasia. And apparently, if you suffer a stroke or brain injury or some other trauma or insult to your central nervous system, and you know more than one language, you may completely lose the ability to speak one language and completely retain the ability to speak the other. That's how decentralized our language p- process is in the brain.
0: Well, yeah, because that's one of the, the factors in foreign uh, accent syndrome is you could, it's not like uh, in a case where you might have a stroke and lose the ability to speak. Like right. You still can speak in perfect dialect, whatever that dialect is, as far as being, you know, articulate and coherent.
1: Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, yeah, exactly. You're not like slurring your speech. You just sound different and like a, a foreign person saying the same words would, right? Yes. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So there's this four point diagnosis criteria that's kind of been deconstructed over the years. Um, but the problem with foreign accent syndrome, it's like you said, um, there's been a 100, maybe 150 cases. So it's just totally up in the air as to like how to diagnose it, what qualifies as it. And we'll talk a little bit about how scientists have dug into it thus far uh, after this break. So, Chuck, foreign accent syndrome, it's kind of all over the place right now, right? Yes. You've got um, Lisa Alamia, um, who woke up from jaw surgery with it. Uh, Apparently, people who have strokes can can suffer from foreign accent syndrome. Uh, And I actually saw one case where your foreign accent syndrome in one patient who suffered a stroke was cured. By a second stroke elsewhere in the brain. Wow! So we have like it's very tough to predict what's going to happen when foreign accent syndrome does come about. And you know, there's been people from Japan who've developed Korean accents, or there have been people from Scotland who developed South African accents. Um, it, it's it's kind of everywhere and all over.
0: Yeah, you can, uh, one of the other causes, it can be from the onset of, uh, MS, uh, from multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Um, this one woman that we'll talk about in more detail suffered, uh, sh- from chronic migraines, but had a migraine attack so severe that it, it spurred this. And, uh, we'll get to her, but all of these in a bucket from some sort of trauma, uh, or an event are called, uh, neurogenic type. And right. for a long time, they used to think that was the only way Uh, that you could get for an accident syndrome.
1: Right, because remember that Harry Whitaker 1982 criteria specifically says it has to be related to central nervous system damage.
0: Yeah, so there's another uh, kind called psychogenic, uh, also non-organic or functional or psychosomatic, but um, one of the leading experts said that they prefer psychogenic, uh, he said, because, quote, this term has the advantage stating positively based on an exploration of its causes that the disorder is a manifestation of psychological disequilibrium, like anxiety, depression, personality disorder, or conversion reaction, end quote. Right. Um, And, you know, we're talking about, could be bipolar disorder. It could be some other form of mental uh, illness. And um, this really kind of rocked, I mean... It's not a huge community studying this, but the people that do are obviously super fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of rocked their world when they found out that someone that had no head injury, no stroke or anything like that would, could have something like this.
1: Yeah, so they developed, um, First was neurogenic, then they developed psychogenic, and then there's actually a third one now. It's mixed, so apparently it can actually be from a psychological issue that possibly could arise from, say, a brain lesion. So it's both of them together right. working to create this foreign accent syndrome. And definitely psychogenic. the psychogenic version of foreign accent syndrome differs tremendously from the uh, neurogenic in a lot of ways. And number one is the psychogenic tends to clear up. It accompanies, say, like a psychotic break or a manic episode or something like that. Um, And... As the episode wanes or goes away or clears up, so too does the foreign accent syndrome. That is not the case with neurogenic. With neurogenic, they have no cure whatsoever. And basically, the only treatment that they can come up with is um, through speech therapy, where a speech-language pathologist basically retrains you to talk the way you did before.
0: Yeah, it's also uh, the neurogenic is also much more common. Out of the cases, I think it's about 86%. Are from some sort of neurological damage, right? So, what does that leave? Fourteen percent, or mm-hmm. uh, unless I guess you're accounting for the the new super odd one that is could be both.
1: Um, and one of the more famous cases that kind of demonstrated that psychogenic FAS was an actual thing um, happened here in America. There's a woman in her mid-30s who had a history of schizophrenia in her family, and she was brought to the ER after attacking her mom's landlady.
0: Yeah, this one's the most recent case, actually.
1: <clears throat> and she, um, she, she believed the landlady was practicing voodoo on her against her, and she attacked the woman. Um, and throughout all this, during this episode, she had taken on a British accent. And taking a family history, they found that, number one, she had schizophrenia in her family. She was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a result of this incident, but that she had had similar instances before. And during these, she had spoken with a British accent.
0: Yeah, I wonder, I didn't see anything in there about her if she, like, had a, I mean, is it another personality? Is it multiple personality disorder?
1: I don't believe so. That's not what I took from it.
0: No, because that would make sense, you know, if you have a, just a, a British personality that came out—that's violent, maybe, or something.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we, remember we—I we, think we've done one on schizophrenia before, haven't we? I don't know. Have we? We, we definitely did one on dissociative personality disorder. Yeah. Um, which was just absolutely fascinating. But I, I was I, like you—I kind of noticed, like, hey, what about multiple personalities? It doesn't—it seems like something that would be right up that alley. I'm sure they've looked into that. But apparently, apparently that's not part of it.
0: Yeah. Um, another case that I said we were going to get to those. This one is really weird, um, and super sad. This woman named Sarah Caldwell mm-hmm. in, uh, England. She is the one that had the migraine that set it off. And, uh, this one is super odd because she's an English woman who now has a Chinese accent. I mean, just straight up sounds Chinese. And like, Broken English Chinese.
1: Right, right. So she sounds like a, a native, um, I think man, Mandarin speaker is probably what we're thinking of, who, um, is speaking English. And if you weren't looking, like you would expect to see, say, maybe like a middle aged, um, Chinese woman, uh, when you looked at the, at the video. Yeah. And no, it's like, uh, I don't know, late, late to mid 30s, um, Caucasian woman, yeah. a, a native born English speaker, who, um, sh- and she's who I was thinking of when I was saying for some people this is a really big problem. Oh, cause yeah. It's presented a big crisis for her identity. She said that she can't look in the mirror while she's speaking any longer. She just doesn't feel like herself anymore. And it's really hit her hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, she, she her case is really sad. It was, I think, 2010 when she was, uh, diagnosed after this uh, migraine incident and in twenty fifteen um she couldn't work anymore. Uh and she she has she has a lot more issues going on than just the speech with these uh migraines that have come on. She's um got a whole range of physical problems that she's had to stop work. She's in a wheelchair. Even though her limbs completely work, her brain basically can't tell her limbs to do what they should do. Good Lord. So um
1: from migraines.
0: Yeah, from I think these really extreme migraines. I think they even likened it to like having a stroke. Uh, they were so severe. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's had to sell her house and, um, I think her husband is afflicted with something too. It's just a really, really sad case. But, um, you know, you can, there's all kinds of, uh, interviews with her and it's just so strange to hear that accent coming out of, uh, this white lady.
1: It is. And from what I gather, she'd be like, yeah, well, imagine how strange it feels coming out of you.
0: Oh, yeah. You know? And, you know, I saw videos where they would sit down and play her. Uh, and before I looked up further that she was having even more uh, troubled times, it seemed like she was getting a little better throughout the interview through therapy because they were playing her. One of the things they do is they play old recordings of herself, and she would sit down and listen to them and try and mimic it. And um, which kind of brought up one of my questions is, can you even mimic an accent like, you know, people can fake an accent? Mm-hmm. Like, can you even do that? Uh, and I didn't get an answer on that. But um, then you're just mimicking an accent your entire life, too, even if you could. Yeah. You know, so that's problematic on its own. Sure. But um, it seemed like she was getting a little bit better in that interview, but uh, apparently not. It's really sad.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, like, it's bad enough you've got migraines and then to have a crisis of identity. Yeah. It's, yeah, not fair.
0: So one of the other things that's um, really troubling is you can't just, just go to a neurologist and get it cleared up. Um, there are a whole range of doctors that you'll probably see along the way, including a neurologist. Um, you talked about a speech-language pathologist, You might go to a clinical psychologist to deal with the fallout from everything. Uh, maybe a neuro, uh, psychologist, uh, maybe a radiologist. You might see, you know, six and eight doctors and still not get anywhere.
1: Right. Because can't do a lot for you. We don't know how to treat strokes very well. And once damage has, has occurred in the brain, it can be. Pretty tough, if not impossible, to reverse yeah. that damage, right? If it's permanently damaged. Um, so yeah, the, the idea that you're, you've now gotten a foreign accent, they're probably like, that's kind of the least of your worries. You just had a massive stroke or a huge head injury or something like that. But it, what it's revealed to them is not that there's this huge mystery. And we, we have kind of played into it a little bit by not revealing this from the outset, but you, You, as a patient with foreign accent syndrome, you didn't hit your head and wake up with the foreign accent. It's all in the ear of the beholder. The whole idea that there is a foreign accent syndrome, as as the way that it's stated, is false. And we'll talk about that after this break. Okay, Chuck, we're back. Yes. So I thought I heard you draw in a breath right before we broke. I might have been. Did you have something to say? <laughs> no. Yeah, I think I have
0: a little trouble wrapping my head around this whole idea that it's only in the ear of the person. Because if, you know, that lady clearly has a Chinese accent. It's not, "Oh, I'm just hearing it that way."
1: So, there've actually been studies where they've played a video clip of or an audio clip of a person with foreign accent syndrome to different people, yeah and said, "You know where do you think this person's from?" and the same person will get tens of different answers out of tens of different people yeah,
0: I, I don't know I, which, I, I mean that makes sense in some cases, I think, but I don't see how anyone could hear this woman and say, "She sounds uh British to me."
1: Right. Well, no, no, no. She she definitely doesn't sound British, but that's the point. She sounds Chinese, but she's not actually speaking in a Chinese accent. She didn't hit her head and wake up with a Chinese accent. What happened was she got these series of migraines, probably had some sort of stroke, and a region of her brain that controls the really intricate process of uh, prosody, of making your tongue do certain things to intonate and accent uh, certain words in certain ways that make up your accent and your dialect overall, that got damaged. And so now she can't control it in the way she used to before. It comes out sounding differently. And to you, somebody who has heard people speak in a Chinese accent before, it sounds like a Chinese accent. That's the difference.
0: Yeah, I still don't get that. What (laughs) I do get, though, is we take second nature just when we open our mouth, we talk. We don't realize the complex, uh, series of events that's going on to make your voice come out the way it does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're well in the brain, they think, um, and again, the mysteries of the brain, they're the, what, how you create speech is really complex and involves all kind of, uh, areas of the brain, but, uh, specifically damage in the left hemisphere and the cerebral artery. They know a lot of times can cause foreign accent syndrome. Right. But when you're speaking, you're using your tongue, you're using your lips, your jaw, uh, your larynx, and the way all these things combine and who you are, uh, is gonna make you have, and we should do one on accents, period, but, um. Agreed. It's gonna control how your speech comes out. So, and the, you know, the one example they, they use in here is if, you know, you have a little too much to drink, those, you know, you might lose some of that muscle control and you might slow your words or, Talk funny or differently. Right. So that's a pretty, pretty basic way of understanding it. But, um, I know vowels are, are sort of a big deal when it comes to foreign accent syndrome.
1: Yeah. If you, if you say ah instead of a, yeah. um, or you substitute consonants like R for L, right? So yeah. you're, um, you know, uh, what's that? What were they singing? Jingle bells on, um, Oh, no, uh, Deck the Halls yeah, on, yeah. on uh, A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story. Fa-ra-ra-ra-ra, right? Yeah. So if you were a, a Caucasian English speaker and the, you damaged your brain in a way that the the part of your brain responsible for forming L's now formed R's instead... Right. ...to other English speakers who'd heard um, native Chinese speakers you would sound like you had a Chinese accent because that's what people who speak Chinese do when they're speaking English. Right. So you didn't actually adopt a Chinese accent. You're just creating sounds in the same way that somebody who was a native Chinese speaker would.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I see what they're getting at with all this. To me, it's a little bit splitting hairs. I think that's what I'm trying to say.
1: I think the difference is this, Chuck. With your your accent, your native accent, your native dialect is the result of your exposure to your environment, right? Lifelong, all the people around you, all the stuff you've learned, all the things you've heard, it creates your dialect, right? When you suffer foreign accent syndrome, your dialect, your brain is damaged so that you can't produce that anymore and you just kind of haphazardly producing something else. Yeah. You don't actually follow. So like if you took... Uh, Sarah Caldwell's language Uh and had her read a passage from a uh, book. And then you had a native Chinese speaker, typical accented Mandarin speaker read that same passage, it would not be the exact same thing. There'd be all sorts of derivations and deviations from that normal Mandarin accent because Sarah Caldwell's brain was damaged in a certain way that makes it a totally unique accent.
0: Yeah, I get that, but that happens within the Mandarin accent between people, too.
1: <laughs> You're you not know? letting this one go, are you? <laughs> I just
0: don't get it. All right. Uh, one thing I do get is that there's no, like... And this is probably what's so frustrate, or one of the things that's so frustrating is, it's not like they wake up with a new cultural identity either. Right. I mean, this woman still wants to have her tea and biscuits every afternoon. Mm-hmm. But when she says that, she says it with Chuck would call it a Chinese accent. A neurologist would say, "Well, you're just hearing that."
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh,
0: so it, you know, it like you said, people suffer a bit from. Uh, Their own like sense of self, right? You know, because see, here's what I wonder: is in in their, do they hear it in their head as their own regular accent?
1: I don't think so. No, I think it sounds off to them, and I think it's probably distressing because they're like, "Wait, let me say that again," and they still say it the what they perceive as the wrong way, because apparently one of the hallmarks of foreign accent syndrome is the the errors or the differences that they they make. Uh, pro, in their prosody is predictable. Right. Which makes it like an accent. I mean, that's what an accent is, is you're going to drop your T's or replace the T with the TH with a D. Right. At, just about every time or add that R when you say wash. Um, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's, it's a predictable thing and that's yeah. part of foreign accent syndrome. It, it starts to happen in predictable ways too. So I would guess, yeah, they, it sounds off to them as well.
0: Well, cuz the reason I say that is because when um like and I think I've talked about this when my grandfather had a stroke, he still talked. Uh but it just came out as gibberish. But in his head he was saying the things that he was trying to say, which is, you know, one of the the most frustrating things I think yeah. after a, a stroke victim is I remember seeing him talk and getting so frustrated. Yeah. He would just, you know, say things out loud and it would come out as gibberish to us, but in his head he's still saying, you know, w- w- his English words.
1: Right. It's got to make you feel trapped in your body.
0: Yeah. Um, however, FAS is a little all over the map because there have been other weird cases because we've been saying this whole time there's not a new identity. It's the same. Uh, you're saying the same words and everything. Mm-hmm. But there have been cases where people do substitute out words like you would say a lift instead of an elevator.
1: Right, that's like the psychogenic version.
0: I know, it's just so confusing.
1: Well, it almost makes me think like, so before there was nothing but neurogenic foreign accent syndrome, right? right. Uh, everything else was, you're just crazy. Now they, they recognize that they're psychogenic FAS as well. I think what's going to happen with more and more study, they're going to just diverge into two totally different syndromes now.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: You know, I think they're going to be like that's actually not the same thing. That's something totally different. Neurogenic foreign accent syndrome is its own thing, and psychogenic is is something else entirely. Yeah, as well. they'll just
0: make up a new name. Yeah, uh, this one other case I thought was interesting the, about the Dutch woman. Uh, which one? She was Dutch. Is Dutch, mm-hmm. and she developed a French accent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But she spoke Dutch using French syntax and occasionally French French words, as if she was a French person learning Dutch. And it turns out that she was a Dutch language teacher who taught French people to speak Dutch. Right. And I
1: don't know, was her psychogenic or neurogenic? It would have to be psychogenic because neurogenic... Has basically that original, um, Harry Whittaker criteria. Like you in never, 1982. Like you'd
0: never use different words and things.
1: Well, it was, it, it has to not be related to the patient's ability to speak a foreign language. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, right.
1: So, like, th- th- she would be technically canceled out from neurogenic for that one. And, um, it would also, it didn't have anything to do with, with central nervous system damage. Right. Which is, again, that's why I think it's going to end up being its own thing. Man, so interesting. It is. What else you got? Uh, that's all I've got, man. Isn't that enough? I think so. Man, any language stuff. Anytime we talk about language in the brain, I guess neurolinguistics. I just my I turn to goo. It's so interesting to me. Yeah, that's what happens when something interests me. I turn to goo. <laughs> uh, if you want to turn to goo and learn more about foreign accent syndrome, you can type those words in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Chuck...
0: Administrative Details.
1: (laughs) How was that? That was great, man. So, Chuck. Yes. We've got some more people to thank for sending us some nice stuff.
0: That's right. I'm going to start off with Nathan Ferlazzo. Oh, that's good. Uh, He sent us some really lovely hand-drawn calendars and bookmarks. um, And you can find those at wildlife.com. (laughs) <laughs> wildlife.mariniferlazzo.com.au and that's dot ocomau and um, it was really, really beautiful work and it's it's a cool thing because a portion of every sale is donated to uh, a non-profit wildlife organization.
1: Very nice. I think you handled that foreign accent very well. Thank you. Um, want to say thanks big time to Robert Coombs or Combs from Whitetail Coffee for the amazing coffees. Um, especially the, like seriously, this is a really good coffee. Um, especially the Ladaris and La Morella. Um, and that's Whitetail, T-A-L-E, coffee. Uh, it's just an amazing coffee subscription service that you should check out.
0: Uh, well, I got a couple of more coffees. I'll just knock them both out. Uh, you have one sitting, actually have, Two of them sitting on your desk right I now, my friend. Can't wait to go grab them. Uh, True Stone Coffee Roasters from St. Paul, Minnesota sent us their medium blend. And uh, I can't vouch for the taste yet because it just got here, but it smells good. Mm-hmm. And then Devin from True Coffee Roasters in Fitchburg, Wisconsin sent us uh, dark roasted Sumatra and a Mexico Alutra. Nice. Al- I'm sorry, Altura.
1: Nice. Thanks a lot. Guys. We got
0: coffee coming out our ears. That's
1: great. That's a good place to be. But we're not going to have diabetes, my friend. No. Uh, Doug Fuchs sent us a beautiful illustrated card. Thanks for that, Doug. Thanks for saying hi. Uh,
0: Meg from Seattle, uh, she sent me a card about Laron's passing, my cat, which I lost last year, which is very, very sweet. And while I'm on that, um, Buckley, my old boy, passed away a couple of weeks ago. And um, everyone on uh, Facebook was beyond supportive and sweet and that really helped out so thanks for that
1: yeah from everybody listening to you Chuck we send our condolences thank, thank you.
0: you it was a very dark time
1: yeah Um let's see Preston Pope he sent us some amazing chocolates Chuck from V Chocolates V just the letter V <laughs> chocolates.com uh, seriously it's good stuff uh, I, I feel bad I feel like I'm running around on little bit sweets
0: Oh <laughs> that's okay. that we'll always come back to them. Okay. Uh, our buddy Jeff Barney uh, was kind enough and I ha- still haven't tried it. It's in my fridge, but you said it's the best. He sent us QP Japanese Mayo. Oh, it's so good. Because of my love for mayonnaise and um,
1: Chuck, you may never go back to duke's. American Mayo again.
0: Well, I'm finishing up a, a gallon of dukes <laughs>
1: <laughs> this afternoon.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna gonna shoot it down. Yeah. And then I'm going to dive into the QP and see what's going on there. Got to see what the difference is.
1: It's subtle, but you, you'll you notice. You'll say, wow, this is actually really, really good mayonnaise.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Jeff Barney, for that.
1: Um, thanks a lot to Tim and Joe from Primer Stories. I don't know if you remember, but our animal rights double parter tied into an essay I wrote on primerstories.com. And they sent t shirts to say thanks for that. So thanks back for you guys' support.
0: Ian Newton of the Baltimore Whiskey Company sent us some ginger apple liqueur and gin.
1: Yes. Thanks a lot. Uh, Don Kent, who last gave us some Pliny the Elder before, which was nice. Oh, yeah. Also sent us a bunch of Soylent. And thank you also to Soylent. Itself, the company who heard our Soylent episode and said, you guys haven't tried Soylent? Here, here's some Soylent. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for that, Soylent. That was very nice.
0: I think they got what they wanted out of this, which is for us to say Soylent 12 times. Soylent. Uh, This came in today. Thomas Kregel, K-R-E-G-E-L. He sent me a friggin' monocle. Oh, that's neat. And he heard me talking about my eyes going and how I just need him to read things close up. hmm And he said, buddy, here's what you need to do because you will one day embarrass your daughter like I embarrass my children. You need to rock a monocle. hmm And it's a monocle.
1: <laughs> so is he like a trained optometrist who can, gr- like... No, no. So he just gave you a piece of glass that's going to ruin your eye over time?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I, I tried it, and it's you know, it's kind of like a reader. It, it works about the same as my prescription. Um, huh. But he uses one. He sent a little picture of himself. Yeah, and uh, I guess I should plug the company. It's nearsights Monocles is what he used.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I got a monocle now. <laughs> nice job, Chuck. <laughs> I'm gonna use it. Your new nickname is Pringles guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got someone else, Pringles guy. Janelle Samara sent us a copy of her book, Our Only Hope. Thank you, and congratulations on writing a book.
0: Uh, Bridget Massoth, M-A-S-S-O-T-H, sent us some really cute, uh, along with a, an extra large handwritten note, mm-hmm. sent us some really cute Josh and Chuck cutouts, like kind of paper cut and paste uh, cutouts. Nice. And yours is on your desk. Thank you. you got to get out of this room and I do. go over to your desk. you got a bounty.
1: Uh, Francis de la Paz. Uh, So, you know, there's like a whole group of people out there who believe in writing letters, beautiful letters with fountain pens and all that. Yeah. And Francis de la Paz is one of them, sent us a a beautiful handwritten letter. And you you also apparently customarily send what's called a flat gift. And uh, they sent a a postcard, The Sad Life of Sad Clown, which is great. (laughs) I think sad clowns are great. Well, I got a few
0: letters, actually. I'll just knock those out because, uh, Sandra, maybe this was because of International Correspondence Writing Month uh, that we got these because apparently that happened. Oh, okay. Uh, But Sandra sent us a nice handwritten letter in honor of that specifically. And then Austin from Bakersfield sent us a very nice handwritten note. Mm -hmm. And then Kristen Cook sent us a Valentine's Day card to all of us, including Harry Knoll.
1: Man, that's Not Harry nice.
0: Knowles of Ain't It Cool News, but right. our own Noel, who was just Harry.
1: Right. We got some other ones, too, Chuck. We got a lighthouse postcard from Big Sable Point from Teresa. Um, we got a couple of Christmas cards from the johnson Allman family and Tess Sullivan and her family. Uh, and I guess in part because of National, what is it, National Writing Month or Letter Writing Month? International Correspondence Writing Month. Exactly, uh, Noel Verosa. No, nope, sorry, Noel Versoza. <laughs> Noel it's I hand got it. It's handwritten.
0: It's handwritten. You can't, uh, you know.
1: I got it that last time. Noel Noel Verzosa wrote us a nice hand uh, letter, handwritten letter and fountain pen.
0: Uh, I've got two more. Um, Megan Moon Waltman. That's Megan with two G's. Oddly, she sent us a copy of uh, this really cool thing she made. Uh, it's a book. It's called Songbook, a book of music for all levels, all ages. And it is 11 songs uh, kind of written out as chords and things and illustrated for different instruments. Like there'll be a song for guitar, mm-hmm. an intro song for banjo, one for cello. And it's got these cool pictures. And then you can download these songs and kind of, I, I figure it's, I mean, it says for all ages, but it seems like it'd be great to give a kid. Right. So check that out. It's very
1: worthwhile. Um, I've got two more to finish than two. One, Austin Doyle sent me an amazing oil crayon painting, um, which I assume will inflate in value very rapidly once Austin dies.
0: Uh, Hopefully that doesn't happen because Doyle is one of our oldest, uh, and I don't mean by age, but one of our longest- time listeners
1: yeah he's a great guy i mean like when he dies of old age i just plan to outlive him that's okay so i can cash in on the painting he made (laughs) me uh and then ben and aaron gibson sent us uh, the japanese car magnets that signify an elderly driver or a teen driver which we've talked about before oh yeah yeah i remember those
0: thanks dudes uh i got one more and this one boy you have no idea what's waiting in there you just came right into the recording studio for a change. Yeah. Um, on your desk right now, Josh. I can't wait. You have a handmade cutting board. Awesome, and it's really, really nice. This is from Christopher at the Timbered Wolf, and um, it's just you know it's gorgeous. He sent a couple of these in, and they're really, really nice. Nice. So you gotta you gotta take care of it though. I left the instructions for you.
1: I got a lot of stuff to carry out of here.
0: Yeah, you need a uh, someone needs to send Josh a wheelbarrow
1: uh, or a radio flyer.
0: <laughs> Ooh, I got one of those for my kid. It's nice. Oh yeah? Yeah, the old red wagon.
1: Like the real one? The radio flyer? Yeah, they still make them. Nice. Well, thank you again to everybody who sent us so much great stuff. We appreciate it big time. Uh, and, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us. I'm at Josh Um Clark and SYSK Podcast. Uh, Chuck's at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and stuff you should know on Facebook. And you can send us both an email to stuffpodcast at com, And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and
0: thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.